Hi folks, it's Rob from the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. For a few years, I wrote, produced, and hosted a podcast called When You Hear This Sound, a show about the weird and wonderful world of read-along record books and storybook vinyl. As my life got more and more hectic, the episodes became fewer and farther between, until finally I stopped production in April of 2016. I've decided to include these old episodes as part of the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop, not only because I'm pretty proud of them, but because I would like to occasionally put out new When You Hear This Sound episodes under the Audio Workshop banner. I still have well over 100 read-along record books in my collection, and there are a few whose story behind the story would be well worth telling. As you listen to these old episodes, please note that the show notes will not be as extensive as they originally were. The websites where the podcast was hosted are long gone, as are the original show notes. So if you want to know more about something I mentioned in the episode, check the Audio Workshop's website, spacemonkeyx.net, but you may need to do a little Googling on your own. However, if there is a book included with the record, you will be able to find scans of it at the website. So please enjoy this archived episode of When You Hear This Sound, and be sure to look for new ventures into vinyl here at the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop in the future. Hello, boys and girls. I'm your Peter Pan storyteller. This is the story of the last starfighter. This is the story of gremlins. This is the story of Tron. This is the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is the story of The Empire Strikes Back. You can read along with me in your book. You can follow the story along with me. Every time you hear this sound. Every time you hear this sound. Turn the pages when you hear this sound. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the computer sound like this. Let's begin, let's begin, now. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zor and the Kogan Armada. Hollywood has gained a reputation over the last few years for being a sequel and remake factory, churning out films based on familiar properties and shirking more original stories in favor of a good opening weekend box office. But the fact of the matter is, Hollywood is a money-making venture that has always preferred the sure bet over an untried formula. Take, for example, the rash of knockoff films and TV shows that appeared in the wake of the surprise success of Star Wars. There were suddenly dozens of kidnapped space princesses that needed to be rescued from the clutches of evil masked maniacs by lowly peasant boys, who recently discovered they were, in actuality, the Chosen One. Throw in some form of laser sword, a pair of endearing robots, and a weird alien sidekick, and you were in business. Most of these films were pretty terrible, but there was one standout that still managed to find a home in the hearts of many young genre fans, 1984's The Last Starfighter. Jonathan Batool was working as a junior copywriter at an advertising agency when he started writing screenplays in between job assignments. One day while on his lunch break, Batool wandered into a video arcade. At the time, he was reading The Once and Future King, a 1958 retelling of the King Arthur legend by author T.H. White, and it struck Batool that a video game could be a modern sword in the stone. Except in his story, the impossible feat would be a record-breaking high score that would send out a signal alerting an intergalactic air force that a worthy recruit had been found. Batool worked up a script that was eventually sold to Lorimar Productions, a studio that created some of the best-known television shows of the 70s and 80s, 
like the Waltons, Dallas, Falconcrest, Knott's Landing, Perfect Strangers, Full House, and The People's Court, just to name a few. Aside from live-action shows, they dabbled in animation as well, most notably producing the well-known Thundercats and Silverhawks cartoons. The production house also had a hand in theatrical features with a wide range of styles, such as the cult film, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, Being There, The Postman Always Rings Twice, An Officer and Gentleman, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, and The Toxic Avenger Part Two. After meeting with a handful of other directors, Nick Castle was brought in and wowed the producers with his take on the script. Although Castle had only previously directed one feature, 1982's Tag, The Assassination Game, he'd been involved in the industry for many years after graduating from USC's prestigious film school in 1970. Much of Castle's previous work as a writer, cinematographer, and actor had been on projects by his good friend and USC classmate John Carpenter. In fact, Castle was in the original Halloween, though you wouldn't recognize him under his repurposed William Shatner mask, because he was playing The Shape, better known today as Michael Myers. Castle made some important changes to Batool's script. Namely, he upped the romantic thread between the two young stars and switched the locale from a Spielbergian suburb to a secluded trailer park. Not only did the trailer park add an interesting microcosm aspect of the film, but Castle felt the suburbs weren't a miserable enough place to justify the protagonist's burning desire to leave. By setting the trailer park in the mountains, it made the soon-to-be starfighter feel even more confined and out of touch, and helped the audience understand his lofty goal of leaving his cramped home far behind. The film starred Lance Guest in the dual roles of Alex Rogan and Beta, his doppelganger left behind on Earth to fill in for Alex while he's off in space. Before Starfighter, Guest had a few small roles on TV and was a supporting part in Halloween 2. After Starfighter, Guest would go on to do more TV with the occasional part in features like 1987's ill-advised Jaws sequel, Jaws the Revenge. Most recently, Guest starred as Johnny Cash in the Broadway production of the musical Million Dollar Quartet, about the one and only time Elvis Presley, Cal Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, and the Man in Black recorded together. Co-starring as the girl next door and the object of many a first crush for young geeks was Catherine Mary Stewart as Maggie Gordon. Although she has been seen in numerous episodes of television shows and TV movies, she is perhaps best known for two roles in cult films, as Carol in the 1983 made-for-TV movie A Killer in the Family, starring Robert Mitchum, Eric Stoltz, and James Spader, and as Reggie, a survivor of a strange zombie apocalypse in 1984's Night of the Comet. Her work since the early 90s has been sporadic as she took time away to raise a family, but has made frequent guest appearances on TV shows and Lifetime Channel movies since 2007. Grig, Alex's reptilian co-pilot sidekick, was played by Dan O'Hurlihy, an Irish actor best known for his Academy Award-nominated performance in 1954's Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. O'Hurley's career spanned over four decades, where he played diverse parts like one of the bomber crew in the 1964 Cold War thriller Failsafe, as an evil mask maker in the only Michael Myerless film in the franchise, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, and perhaps most memorably as the CEO of OCP, the corrupt organization that turned Officer Alex Murphy into Robocop in Paul Verhoeven's 1987 sci-fi classic. Sadly, O'Hurley died in 2005 at the age of 85. Perhaps the best-known actor in the film was Robert Preston as Centauri, the inventor of the Starfighter game and Alex's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Preston started his career in motion pictures in the late 1930s, but split his time on the stage starting in 1952, most memorably originating the role of slick traveling con man Professor Harold Hill in The Music Man. Preston reportedly based his Centauri performance on The Professor, and a side-by-side comparison of the two characters makes that quite apparent. Sadly, Starfighter would be Preston's last major motion picture, he died a few years later at the age of 68 after a battle with lung cancer. 
Well, a band will do it, my friends. Oh, yes, I said a boys' band. Do you hear me? I said River City got to have a boys' band, and I mean she needs it today. Well, Professor Harold Hill's on hand. River City's going to have her boys' band. As sure as the Lord made little green apples, and that band's going to be in uniform. Although the actress might have brought the last starfighter to life, the real star of the film for many young fans was the special effects. Although Tron is the first film to use extensive computer-generated imagery with about 20 minutes of CGI, The Last Starfighter actually topped it with 27 minutes of fully rendered effects. The technology wasn't quite up to snuff for computer-generated actors at the time, so, much like Tron, the computer effects were relegated to starships, planets, and other outer space environments. Most of these designs were envisioned by Ron Cobb, a legendary artist who created concept vehicles, props, and locations seen in such classic films as Star Wars, Alien, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Conan the Barbarian, The Abyss, and Total Recall. The effects were rendered on a $15 million Cray XMP supercomputer, the world's fastest computer between the years 1983 and 1985. The XMP featured four microprocessors running at 105 megahertz each, operated on a whopping 128 megabytes of RAM, and could store data on multiple filing cabinet-sized 1.2 gigabyte hard drives, each sold separately for $270,000. The effects were created by Digital Productions, a computer animation company in Los Angeles, founded by two former employees of III, the company that created the CGI for Tron. It's been estimated that using computer animation for The Last Starfighter required only half the time and one-half to one-third the cost of traditional special effects, helping to keep the film at a typical for the time budget of $14 million. There were, of course, practical special effects as well, most notably the star car driven by Centauri. Ron Cobb designed the look of the car, but it was car customizer Gene Winfield who actually built the working vehicle. Often called the King of Customs, during the 1950s Winfield developed blended paint jobs where one color fades into another and designed multiple concept cars for Ford in the 1960s. Based out of Southern California, the hotbed of hot rod culture, it wasn't long before Hollywood took notice. Winfield built cars for TV shows like Batman, Get Smart, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., and Star Trek, as well as films like Robocop and Trancers. For Back to the Future 2, he designed and built all of the streamlined cars seen on the streets when Marty travels to the future, as well as the flying version of the DeLorean time machine. But Winfield is perhaps best known for creating the cars in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, including the iconic Spinner flying police car. By the way, if you look closely at the scene in Back to the Future 2, where Marty is being pulled behind the Jeep on his hoverboard, you'll see quite a few cameos of Winfield's Hollywood cars, including a Spinner and Centauri's star car. The Last Starfighter was released on July 13, 1984 by Universal Pictures as a limited-run double feature with another of their family films, and a personal favorite of mine from the era, Cloak and Dagger, starring Dabney Coleman and Henry Thomas. The films actually have a lot in common. They both star a young, arcade-obsessed protagonist who gets more than he bargained for when the video game he's playing holds a special secret that propels him into the adventure he's been longing for to shake him out of his otherwise boring existence. While The Last Starfighter doubled its budget, bringing in about $28 million at the box office, the film was still considered something of a disappointment. The producers hoped it would be a Star Wars-level marketing bonanza, but instead, many tie-in products were canceled after the film underperformed. Perhaps the most disappointing cancellation was a toy line set to be produced by toy manufacturer Galoob. A 1983 product catalog sent out to retailers showed prototypes of 4-inch action figures, including Alex, Beta, Maggie, Grig, Centauri, and a few different species of Codon warriors and Starfighter pilots. There's no mention of vehicles or playsets in the catalog, but surely they would have released a Starfighter ship, 
which now makes me weep for what might have been. You would think that a movie whose central premise is based on an awesome video game would have a real-life awesome video game to go along with it, but developers struggled or took shortcuts to capitalize on the movie's built-in marketing gimmick. The biggest push for a game came from Atari, who actually produced a coin-op arcade game that would have been the company's second 3D polygonal title. Unfortunately, the first such game was iRobot, one of the biggest bombs in arcade history. So when the time came to actually release the last Starfighter game, someone in the accounting department determined that each arcade machine would need to be priced at $10,000 to justify the expensive hardware needed to run such an advanced game. After the iRobot disaster, Atari decided it was best to just cancel the game entirely, then take the risk. Atari also created home versions of the video game for the Atari 2600 and 8-bit computers, but they were never released under the last Starfighter name. With some minor tweaks, the computer game was released as Star Raiders 2, while the 2600 game became known as Solaris. There was also a Nintendo game released in 1990 under the last Starfighter name, but it was just a reskinning of an old Commodore 64 game with new graphics and sound. Perhaps the most faithful game was released as freeware in 2007 from an independent publisher known as Rogue Synapse. The game accurately recreates the experience of playing the last Starfighter arcade game, using sound clips from the film's game as well as the same style of graphics, which can be created fairly easily using today's technologies. I'll put a link to the download in the show notes if you want to check it out. That's not to say there weren't any tie-ins with the film, though. Marvel Comics released a comic book adaptation in Marvel Super Special No. 31, as well as a three-issue limited series. Noted author Alan Dean Foster wrote a novelization of the film, and there was even a Last Starfighter role-playing game created by FASA, makers of Battletech and Shadowrun. Perhaps the most surprising adaptation of the film was the 2004 off-Broadway musical that featured such catchy little ditties as Zandazan. It's a Zandazan Better run away as fast as you can you don't want him metamorphosing, getting in your nosing, going round and posing as you, man, Zantazan. What can you do? Although The Last Starfighter might not have been able to capture the same magic in a bottle as another space opera set in a galaxy far, far away, there's no question that it has since become a nostalgic touchstone for many kids who grew up in the 1980s. Filled with heart, moments of comedy, and a real underdog story, to paraphrase famous film critic Gene Siskel, it might be a Star Wars ripoff, but it's the best Star Wars ripoff. And now, without further ado, relive the adventures of Alex Rogan as he defends the frontier from Zur and the Codon Armada in the Buena Vista Records production of 1984's The Last Starfighter. This is the story of The Last Starfighter. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. The Starfighter video game bleeped and boomed as Alex Rogan skillfully destroyed the Kodan fighters one by one. This was the only bright spot in Alex's dreary life at a dull trailer park. When he held the Starfighter controls, his creative imagination soared. One day was particularly depressing for Alex. 
Look at this. My college loan has been turned down. I'll never get out of here. Angrily, he ran up the hill to play Starfighter. As he racked up points with a vengeance, word spread through the trailer park that Alex was going for the record. The cheering crowd watched as Alex finally reached the Kodan command ship and blew it up. The game screen flashed. Record breaker! Record breaker! After his victory, Alex relaxed on a porch swing with his girlfriend. There's got to be more to life than this place, Maggie. One day soon, I'm going to leave here, and I'm taking you with me. Maggie snuggled closer to him. It's you and me forever, Alex. That night, a sleek, futuristic car drove into the trailer court. The car door hissed upward. When Alex peeked inside, the driver smiled at him. My name's Centauri, and I invented Starfighter. Your amazing performance on that game is light years ahead of the competition. Light years! That's why Centauri's here to offer you the chance of a lifetime. Trust me. Get in, my boy. As if in a trance, Alex climbed into the car. Suddenly, the door slammed shut, and the car shot off down the road, racing faster and faster. Hey, what's going on? Where are we going? Centauri grinned. You don't peek at your presence before Christmas morning, do you? Trust me. He pushed a button, and Alex was thrown back in his seat as the car leapt into the air and flew off into outer space. Centauri steered the star car through hyperspace. We're going to the planet Rylos, my boy. You'll love it. They were soon landing at a military complex filled with warriors and gleaming starships. A dazed Alex was handed a flight uniform and led to a briefing room full of strange-looking aliens from across the galaxy. Ambassador Enduran stepped before them. Greetings, starfighters. You have been recruited to fight Zur and the Kodan Armada. Alex gripped a tentacle of the alien next to him. Hey, this is just like in the game. Suddenly, a projected image appeared in the briefing room. It was Zur, the evil son of Ambassador Enduran. You should not have banished me, father. I am now on the Kodan command ship, ready to lead your enemies into battle against you. Soon, we will destroy you all, and not even your mighty star fighters can save you. Alex leaped up looking for Centauri. He found him with a friendly star navigator named Grig. There's been a big mistake. I didn't ask to be brought here. I want to go home. Centauri grinned. What? And miss all the excitement? The lizard-like Grig shook his head. This is most irregular, Centauri. If the boy won't fight, you must take him home. Angered by Alex's decision, Centauri flew him back to Earth. At the same moment, the Kodan Armada was sitting just outside the frontier. Under Zur's direction, the command ship was burning a hole through the massive energy wall that protected the friendly planets of the galaxy. Zur rubbed his hands together gleefully. When the frontier is down, Rylos and the Starfighter base will be defenseless before me. Then I will rule the galaxy. With evil joy, Zur turned to his Kodan captain. The frontier is down! Attack! Advanced fighters swooped through space, pounding the starfighter base with laser cannons and proton missiles. 
Explosions rip through the base, leaving it in flames. Arriving at the trailer court, Centauri gave Alex a communicator. If you change your mind about helping us, call me on this. Back in his room, Alex was surprised to find someone in his bed. Hey, you look just like me. What's going on here? The duplicate sat up. I'm a beta unit, a robot sent to take your place. But why did you come back here? Your life is so boring. Alex stepped outside to think. Just then, an alien hand shot through the roof and grabbed him. Alex tore free and ran as laser bolts slashed after him. The beta unit dragged Alex to cover. That's a Zandozan gunman, sent by Zor. He wants all starfighters destroyed. Call Centauri back, quickly! Within moments, the star car skidded to a stop. Centauri leaped out, his blaster blazing. The gunman fell, but he got off a final shot. Centauri crumpled in pain. Alex helped him into the car. You saved my life. I'm sorry I've been so much trouble. Zora won't give up, Alex. Look, as long as you think of yourself as a kid from a trailer court, that's all you'll ever be. Alex nodded. When do we leave for Rylos? The injured Centauri stayed alert long enough to return Alex to the demolished starfighter base. Grig instantly hustled the boy into a gunstar, telling him of Zur's sneak attack. Alex fingered the controls of the ship. Hey, these are just like the ones on the game back home, except for this button here. That's an untried weapon called the Death Blossom. Don't push it, unless you have to. Hang on. The gunstar blasted into space. Alex searched the skies. Grig, how many starfighters are left? <laughs> Counting yourself, Alex? What? The last starfighter, huh? Well, if we can't outnumber them, we'll just have to outthink them. Suppose we hide behind that asteroid until the armada passes and then attack from the rear. Ha-ha! <laughs> Attacking while confusion reigns. An interstellar plan, Alex. Meanwhile, back on Earth, another Zandozan gunman attacked Beta while he was with Maggie. She stared unbelieving at the wires in Beta's charred chest. Alex, you were shot! What's happening? Look, I'm a robot, and if I don't stop that alien gunman from sending the news to Zur, your real Alex is in big trouble. Beta drove after the gunman and rammed his truck into the Zandozan ship. Both were destroyed in a ball of flame. At that moment, aboard the Kodan command ship, Zur read the incomplete Sandozan transmission. Message. The last starfighter is... He glared at the message. The final word must be dead. The last starfighter is dead. <laughs> Nothing can stop us now. Ahead full to Rhinos. Alex and Greg watched the hundreds of Kodan fighters fly past their hiding place. We're behind them now, Grig. This is it. The Gunstar zoomed toward the command ship, crippling it with photon bolts. Then, Alex tore through the armada, firing madly. Shot, Alex. Just like in the game, scores of fighters were demolished by his skill. Then Alex watched fearfully as the remaining fighters surrounded them on all sides. Grig, what's going on? 
Greg shook his head. I am afraid, Alex, that we are the focus of the deadly circle of doom formation. I never faced this in the game. We'll have to use the Death Blossom. A gun star opened like a huge flower, missiles and rockets bristling in all directions. Suddenly, the ship spun like a great fiery whirligig, firing all its weapons at once. Every fighter in the Gunstar's kill zone was blown to vapor. Greg checked his gauges. All engine power is gone, but we've defeated the Armada. My wifeoid and my 60,000 little wrigglings back home are safe. Alex was startled by what he saw on the external sensors. We haven't won yet, Grig. The command ship is on a collision course with us, and we have no power to move out of its way. Grig began to throw switches. Hold your breath, Alex. I'm switching our life support power to the engines. With a sudden roar, the Gunstar slid past the command ship. Hull scraped against hull as Alex fired his last torpedo point blank. The huge Kodan ship rocked violently. But Sewer managed to escape in an emergency pod. Then, the doomed ship crashed into the green moon of Rylos. Millions of grateful Rylans turned out to greet the last starfighter. Alex and Greg waved to the cheering crowds. Fully recovered from his wounds, Centauri shook Alex's hand. You're a galactic hero now, Alex. You must stay here and train new starfighters. I will, Centauri, but first I've got some unfinished business. I'll be back soon. Late one night, Alex's trailer court was shaken by the roar of rockets. Folks rushed outside to see a spaceship land. Astonished, they watched Alex and a lizard-like alien step from the gleaming gun star. Charming as ever, Greg greeted the frightened crowd. Hello, everyone. Alex has told me so much about all of you. Alex turned to Maggie. See, I told you I was going to get out of here. I just came back to get you, Maggie. Will you come? Maggie hugged her starfighter tightly. You and me forever, Alex. Together, they climbed into the waiting gun star. In the distance, the trailer park video game came to life. Greetings, starfighter. You have been recruited. The words were lost in the rumble of the gun star's blast-off. Alex and Maggie were on their way to their new home in the stars. <laughs>